Hello from the Fine Music Radio Studios. My name is Paige Nick, and you're tuned into Book Choice, a Publisher's Choice Edition. It's the only book show in the country where the biggest names from behind the scenes in publishing join us for a full hour to give us an insider's eye into the books they're bringing out right now. First on the show, we welcome the team from global publishing powerhouse Pan Macmillan. They're here to share some of their favorite current titles, both local and international. After that, we'll be joined by Jonathan Ball Publishers. The team at Jonathan Ball consistently publish a host of South Africa's top non-fiction titles, as well as loads of great international fiction and non-fiction. And they're here today to bring us up to speed with what they've got coming up. And after that, and a bit of music, last but never least, we'll be joined by our great, great friends at Exclusive Books, who come on the mic to add their important voice to the show and share their top picks and the very best reads for you for the upcoming month. And each of these incredible publishers' slots are bookended by some wonderful music. All the music in our book shows every month here on Fine Music Radio are carefully and thoughtfully selected by Rick Everett and compiled by Dave Wood. Thank you for the music, you guys.
That was The Days of Wine and Roses by Albie Lowe. Did you know that all the music in every book choice show has a theme? This month, to match the local publishers who've joined us on the show, the theme of our music is local composers, which means that every track you'll hear on today's show has been composed by a South African composer. You're tuned into Book Choice, Publisher's Choice on Fine Music Radio with me, your host, Paige Nick. First up on the show, we're joined by one of South Africa's biggest publishers, Pan Macmillan. The Pan Macmillan team spend their days producing shelves of phenomenal South African fiction and non-fiction titles, as well as distributing some international authors. Pan Macmillan publish everything from your household name, favorite best-selling authors, to exciting debuts. So a big welcome to the show to the Pan Macmillan team, headed up by the wonderful Veronica Napier, Senior Publicist at Pan Macmillan. Hello again. It's Veronica from Pan Macmillan and Picador Publishers. Firstly, wishing you all a fulfilled and happy reading year ahead. This month, I have chosen to share with the Fine Music Radio listeners a great initiative called Writer's Room, and Zodwa Kamala Valentine will be able to tell you more about that later in the program. We also have Tiana Klein, who is our social media consultant and a very prolific reader, sharing her views on one of her favorite authors, T.J. Klein. Lastly, we have the renowned author, wildlife host, television presenter, James Hendry, who is going to talk to us about his latest novel, Return to the Wild. I am Zodwa Kumalo-Valentine, and I'm the associate editor at Pan Macmillan. I'm tasked with not only finding, but also commissioning new writers and developing existing authors in the local adult fiction and nonfiction space. There is a gap in the South African market for well-written commercial fiction novels that are not only set in the country, but also written by our own authors. Globally, there is a surge in rom-com titles and historical fiction. Readers are turning to books that provide an escape and give them a sense of comfort and, and resolution by ending on a positive note. We have a wealth of original content in South Africa, from only in Mzansi narratives to true crime and trending topics, historical settings and events, all from which we can draw inspiration. And we have an audience that is hungry for books that really resonates. Books that you take along for a quick beach read or pull out during a load shedding lull. Since joining the team a year ago, Panikman has been focused on growing its local commercial fiction offering. Empathy, humor, compassion, friendship, relationships, community, sex, suspense, and hope are just a few of the keywords and notes we're looking to hit in these stories. These include genres such as romance, rom-coms, crime thrillers, murder mysteries, and uh, historical sagas, among others. In view of this, we've been working on a number of ideas to draw these stories out, one of which is the Pan Macmillan Writer's Room, which we launched in October last year. Borrowing from the classic TV Writer's Room style, we created our own version with the objective of generating plot lines that we could potentially develop commissioned to write and eventually publish. Looking specifically at the film industry, we handpicked three screenwriters to pitch three strong plot lines each for commercial fiction novels, and we were really impressed by what they presented. We currently have nine original ideas in development, 
Initially, we thought we would take the ideas and commission them to experienced or up-and-coming writers in the space, but all three screenwriters expressed interest in taking a stab at writing them themselves. I think when you're given the, the space to conceptualize an idea or given an open brief to tell a story, you do become married to the idea and you want to be part of bringing it to life. And we are very excited about what will come out of it. Uh, we're now in the writing phase and we're working with the screenwriters to put fingers to keyboards and enrich their plots, create memorable characters and pen stories that will resonate and stay with you. And once we're further along the way in terms of developing these books, we will announce who the budding novelists are and we are expecting to publish the novels in the next year or so. I'm Tiana Klein, and one of my favorite books from last year was called Under the Whispering Door. It's a little book about death and grief by TJ Klune. So that may sound depressing, but TJ Klune really writes comfy reads. They're books that feel like they're giving you a big warm hug or that you're being snuggled up in a comfy blanket. He's the sort of author where you'll read the back of book and say, this is not my usual genre. And then when you finish, you'll go and recommend his books to absolutely everyone you know. But back to the book, Under the Whispering Door manages to be very funny, sad, and emotional all at once. It tells the story of Wallace Price, who is an awful man who dies. I know this isn't a spoiler alert. This is only chapter one. Wallace is selfish, miserable, unpleasant. He's a lawyer. And even at his funeral, he has a problem adjusting to the fact that he is dead. So the actual book centers around a tea house called Charon's Crossing. And this is the place where you go before you transition into the afterlife, which usually takes about a week. Wallace, of course, refuses to leave because he doesn't believe that he's dead. But he is. He is a ghost. The tea house, however, is a real place. And it's run by an assortment of really interesting characters like reapers and ferrymen and other ghosts. There's even a ghost dog named Apollo. But the truth is, Under the Whispering Door isn't really a story about ghosts. Rather, it's about one ghost, Wallace, and the journey that takes place so he can become the best version of himself. The book is really a deep dive into what it means to be a good person. It can be quite whimsical at times. There are definitely moments where you'll be reading it and you'll have to stop and think and take it in. But that's kind of what a writer TJ Klune is. He's very thoughtful with his words, but at the same time, he's not overly lyrical. Under the Whispering Door is a thrilling fantasy for the most part, a sweet romance and an exploration of grief. I really felt like it was a book that you won't forget. If you're looking for other books by T.J. Klune, he also has a book called The House on the Cerulean Sea, and his most recent release is called Wolf Song. Hello, this is James Hendry, author of The Turn to the Wild. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the book and what I'm getting up to at the moment. I suppose the first thing to do is to just give a little background to the series of books. They were started in 20, I think 2011, we wrote the first one called A Year in the Wild, and that was then followed in 2013 or so by Back to the Bush in 2013, and then finally, this year, I returned to the wild. And they're a series of books that take a very light-hearted look at life in a five-star game lodge. Everybody always likes to know what goes on behind the scenes at these places where everything uh, that the guest seems to be completely smooth and running wonderfully. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, there's a whole lot of pandemonium going on on an almost permanent basis. And it just is ideal 
makes for excellent stories that are naturally humorous, and I don't really have to try very hard to find funny stories about these sorts of things. So I worked in, and I still do from time to time, work in these luxury game lodges for the best part of the last two decades, and so most of the anecdotes have some kind of basis in fact. And the stories follow the lives of two brothers, Angus and Hugh McNaughton. Hugh is tall and extroverted and loves people. Angus is short and cynical and really doesn't like people at all. And Angus becomes a game ranger in the first book, or guide, and Hugh becomes a camp manager. And he's he's sort of looking after guests and generally being hospitable while Angus is taking them out into the field, all in a much bigger team at Fasagila Private Game Reserve. And so the three books are about their adventures in the wild. In the latest one, Angus has, for various complicated reasons, left the bush and four years since the end of the last story, and he, for various reasons, returns to the bush to train a group of game rangers or would-be game rangers at Sasagile Private Game Reserve. And there have been lots of changes there, and some of them not so good, some of them very good, and it's all about trying to get these guys through. The book's told largely from Angus's perspective, and it's all about trying to get the trainees through their training course and onto the road as fully-fledged guides. All the while, there are interactions with highly demanding guests, the quirkery that goes with the staff compliment at one of these lodges, a very large staff compliment. And, yeah, it's it's just a good, fun romp uh, with a bit of romance, quite a lot of action, and lots of sort of nature, I suppose, so lots of descriptions of being out in the African wild. So the book's really for anybody with an enthusiasm for the African wild, for nature in general, for safaris, and then for the inevitable romance that goes on with being in wild spaces in Africa. So that's the newest book. And I think the the two brothers have matured a lot since their first adventure so many years ago. And so I think that if you enjoyed the first two, you'll really love this one. I think it's the best one, but I guess every author thinks that of their latest work. Um, I'm told by some others that it probably is the best one yet, so that's good. And if you haven't read the first two, you can read this one and understand entirely what's going on, but it's quite fun to read all three together. And, well, you know, they've been republished recently, and they've all got matching covers. So, I mean, you know, matching books, always a good idea in your in your bookshelf. Other than that, I am now returning to the wild, literally. I'm going back to work for Wild Earth, which many of you will know from probably from lockdown on Channel 183 on DSTV. And if you don't, Wild Earth broadcasts live safaris morning and evening from various locations in South Africa. To find out more about all Pan Macmillan titles, visit panmacmillan.co.za. Or you can follow them online on all their social media. Or, of course, if you missed any of the titles or the authors that they've mentioned in this segment, this show is available as a downloadable podcast on fmr.co.za.
You were just listening to Fascination by Cliff Jones. You're tuned into Book Choice, Publisher's Choice, right here on Fine Music Radio with me, your host, Paige Nick. So, who do we have joining us on the show next? Only another of South Africa's biggest publishing houses, Jonathan Ball Publishers. Jonathan Ball knows a thing or two about bringing you great reads. After all, they've been doing it in this country since 1976. And they don't just distribute all sorts of great international titles locally. Jonathan Ball also produces a host of fantastic local non-fiction titles every month, which they're here to tell us about today. So a big hello to the Jonathan Ball Publishing team. We're excited to hear about some of the many titles you've got for us to read this coming month. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another FMR episode. My name is Mpumi Gidana, and I'm a publicist at Jonathan Ball Publishers. Today, I have the privilege and honor to be joined by my amazing colleague, Mika Goethe, and she's a children's publicist. We're in for a treat today as we'll be focusing on children's books as they prepare to go back to school. We'll also be setting our reading goals for the year. We'll also be talking about how to get reluctant readers into the culture of reading. I really cannot wait to hear all the great recommendations from Mika. Welcome, Mika. Hey. Thank you so much for joining me. So in 2022, I really struggled to get into the culture of reading. What would you suggest I do to build great reading habits for 2023? Well, I would. my number one tip for that is consistency. Just continue reading. I feel like there's a lot of guilt when we pick up a book and we are not enjoying it. And we like kind of force ourselves to continue reading it and push through. But I feel like we should try and encourage the culture of putting books down if we're not enjoying them and explore more and get out of your comfort zone to learn what you are enjoying in your books and what you don't enjoy. And through this process, you get consistency within your reading as long as you just continue reading. And I feel like in these kinds of reading patterns, what really helps for me is tracking my reading. Oh, I love that idea. Can you say some tips with me on how to track my reading? Well, the way I usually track my reading is using Goodreads, which is an app where you can like add what books you're currently reading. You can add reviews and you can make lists of books you want to read. I find that very, very helpful. But I also really enjoy keeping a reading journal where I can write down what I read and what I have read and what I thought about it. And having that visual representation of what I'm reading really does help me stay consistent within my reading habits. That's really, really amazing. I mean, at least it gets to also tap into my creativity a bit. Sometimes the thought of reading an actual book is intimidating and daunting. How do you recommend that people combat that? I mean, if you look at a really big physical book and you want to start reading it, it can be really intimidating. But what I found has really helped me with my reading and getting over that intimidation is changing up the format of how I read my books. I mean, reading has so many different formats and I would recommend exploring ebooks or audiobooks. And what I really love to explore as a format is a graphic novel. There's kind of a bit of a stigma around graphic novels that they're for kids and that they're juvenile and they don't really aid in reading. But I feel like having that visual stimulus really does help getting people back into reading and feeling less intimidated by a text. Sure. Wow. I love comic books and I've never actually considered them as reading books. I definitely get what you're saying. And I think they could definitely get more people, especially young people into the culture of and habits of reading. 
Yes, exactly. I mean, when you start reading as a child with your parent, they introduce you to picture books, which have such amazing visual stimuli that is included with the text. But when you transition to text-only novels, it can be so scary and it puts people off reading forever. So, so true. Are there any books you can recommend to make the transition easier? Of course. I mean, if you're just starting that transition from picture book to full-length novels, I would definitely recommend Oliver Jeffers' Here We Are and Levi Pinfold's The Black Dog. These are picture books with a bit more text and a bit more complex ideas. These picture books introduce kids to following a narrative and really engaging with the complexities of the themes at hand. For instance, Levi Pinfold's Black Dog is about a girl who finds a ginormous black dog in her backyard. And the black dog represents her fear. And every time she faces her fear and engages with the dog, it shrinks to a manageable size. So kids can really engage with that type of topic. And then If they've kind of moved beyond these types of picture books, I would definitely recommend Beacon Alley by Non Futi, which is a graphic novel series about an alligator and a bird who become best friends in an unlikely friendship. I would also recommend the I Can Read comic books, for instance, The Tiny Tales, A Feast for Friends by Steph Waldo, which is a book about a snail who makes friends in the forest. I think these graphic novels really help in aiding those kids in that transition. Thank you so much for suggesting these great books for our little readers. But what about our older readers? I think when you talk about reluctant readers, the teens sometimes get left behind. And Mm -hmm. I feel like graphic novels for teens are a great way to fill that reading gap. We've got some amazing books that have come out in 2022, including Demon in the Wood by Lee Bardugo, which is a graphic novel based on the Shadow and Bone TV show on Netflix. This graphic novel has some great action and adventure sequences in it. Definitely think it would keep readers engaged. And I really love the Heartstopper graphic novel series by Alice Oseman. This is a graphic novel series about two boys who fall in love and discovering their sexual identities. These books feel like a warm hug to read. Absolutely love that. Um, I think especially at the beginning of the year, all children need to get a warm hug, especially from a book, because they're entering into new spaces or foreign spaces, you know, new classrooms, new grades, new schools. So I think books are really going to help in their journey. Exactly. I mean, books are so familiar to children. And when they have to start a new book, it feels like such a daunting challenge because you're introduced to new characters and new setting. And that can put off a lot of readers. So finding books that are similar to your comforting reads is really the key to get more children into consistent reading. So if you like books like Harry Potter, for instance, I would definitely recommend reading Amari and the Night Brothers by B.B. Alston or Nevermore by Jessica Townsend. Both of these books deal with characters who've been ostracized from their societies and find a new place to thrive within like a magical space. These children really learn to become their own and gain confidence in their spaces and within their friendships. Sure. I feel like all these books have so much depth and, you know, there's so many life lessons that can be learned from all these books that you're suggesting, which is amazing. My nephew has recently finished reading the Diary of a Wimpy Kid series. What else would you recommend that's similar to it that would encourage him to continue reading? 
Well, I would definitely recommend I Swapped My Brother on the Internet by Joe Simmons. This is such a great book with such great visual elements to it. I would also recommend the graphic novel series called Last Kids on Earth by Max Braillier. This has recently been turned into a Netflix show, and it's such an action-packed adventure series that can get any kid hooked on books. I would also recommend the new series coming out in 2023 called The Worst Week Ever, and we're starting out with Monday by Eva Amores and Matt Cosgrove. This has such a great visual element to it, and I absolutely think that kids are going to love it, especially when they're going through a really bad week at school. I love, love, love all these titles. I feel like they're so engaging. I mean, listen to the title, I swapped my brother on the internet. (laughs) Definitely a must read for me too. For sure. Um, My nephew also recently read Space Boy by David Williams. What's next? Well, Space Boy is such a great book and David Williams is such an engaging author. But I do think that there are so many others in the same kind of category that I could recommend, including the new book, Virtually Christmas by David Baddiel. David Baddiel has this great way of having that wit and charm and getting kids laughing. And I find that that's so important when reading a book is to laugh and have a great time. And I would also recommend Cressida Cowell's Which Way to Anywhere. This book is stunningly illustrated by the author herself. And it really is reminiscent of... um, um, David Williams's fun way of illustrating his books as well. Thank you so much for the great selection of books. I'm truly thrilled and I don't know where to start, which book to gift first to my nieces and nephews, but I'm sure we're going to have a delightful reading year. Thank you for also giving us ways on how to track our reading habits. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I think we're both ready for the new year and we're going to be setting some clear reading goals. I think that everybody can feel prepared and ready to tackle the year with their reading. Absolutely. Here's to reading more wonderful Jonathan Ball books. Happy reading. To keep up with Jonathan Ball's latest book news, event updates and new releases, you can visit jonathanball.co.za and you can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and TikTok at Jonathan Ball Publishers. Or you can tune into PageCast, which is Jonathan Ball's in-house podcast, bringing you the story behind the story.
That was My Blue Heaven by Bruce Gardner, right here on Fine Music Radio, broadcasting from the Artscape Building in Cape Town. My name is Paige Nick, and you're tuned into Book Choice, Publisher's Choice, for an hour of the latest What to Read highlights, brought to you directly by South Africa's leading publishing houses. If you've missed any of the great book suggestions our publishers have shared with you on the show today, you can always find a podcast of the latest show to listen to at your leisure, and you can find it on our website, which is fmr.co.za, or, of course, on our FMR app. And last but not least, our final segment for today's show comes straight from South Africa's biggest bookseller, Exclusive Books. We're joined by Batya Bricker, General Manager Books and Brands at Exclusive Books, who will be sharing a feast of some of her favorite fiction and nonfiction titles that you'll find in your local Exclusive Books right now. A very happy new year and all blessings for 2023 from Exclusive Books. My name is Batya Bricker and I am the GM for Books and Brands for EB. I hope the December break was just what you needed to start the year calm, motivated, healthy and inspired. And I wonder whether, like me, you use December to catch up on all the goodies that have piled up next to your bed the ones you simply did not get to during the year. For me, December is a time to catch up on all the books that got away. All those titles that caught my eye or tickled my fancy at the time, but that I didn't quite get to in the last 12 months. My tottering pile of books included some of the big hitters of 2022, books that have created a sensation, and then my best of all, the unexpected hidden gems. I began with Atomic Habits by James Clear. The sales of this book are staggering, not just in their numbers, which are eye-watering too, but the sheer stamina of this title, to sell and sell and sell, from before COVID, during lockdowns, and then the year after. There had to be something in this book more than the sheer hype. Clear is known for his ability to distill complex topics into simple behaviours that can be easily applied to daily life and work. Here, he draws on the most proven ideas from biology, psychology and neuroscience to create an easy-to-understand guide for making good habits inevitable and bad ones impossible. Along the way, readers will be inspired and entertained with true stories from Olympic gold medalists, award-winning artists, business leaders, life-saving physicians, and star comedians who have used the science of small habits to master their craft and vault to the top of their field. I am mom of and to three boys who are now teens. But when I started having babies and I needed to get my head around the often overwhelming prospect of being a parent, some of the best advice I got was Start as you mean to go on. In other words, think about how you want this habit, this lifestyle, this thinking to be like in a month, in a year from now, and start it right. This has proven to be such a strong positive influence on me on how to handle raising kids, but also conscious living in general. James Clear would approve. That's because bad habits or habits that don't serve you, are notoriously hard to break, and we all have them. What Claire explains is that if you're having trouble changing your habits, the problem isn't you. 
The problem is your system. Bad habits repeat themselves again and again, and not because you don't want to change, but because you have the wrong system for change. You do not rise to the level of your goals. You fail to the level of your systems. Here, you'll get a proven system that will take you to new heights, and it is indeed worthy of all the hype. The other massive hype book that came from the left, as it were, is The Psychology of Money, Timeless Lessons on Wealth, Greed, and Happiness, a book by Morgan Housel. This book was spotted on international bestseller lists, and a proactive approach to represent the title in South Africa was made by one of our local publisher distributors, who simply knew in her bones that this book could also work locally, and work it has. The field of finance, including investment, personal finance, and business decisions, is typically represented as a mathematical one, where we're given precise instructions based on data and research and formulae. But people in the real world don't use spreadsheets to make important financial decisions. At the dinner table or in the conference room, people mix in their own backgrounds, experience, perspective, prides, ego, and even peculiar motivations to come up with these decisions, this book confirms that we are complicated creatures who have complicated relationships with money. It's okay and expected to not base every decision off a cold Excel calculation, so instead of pretending we will, Hazel gives some advice, as well as 19 short stories to inspire the behavior in you. This is all so resonant for mere mortals like you and me. My personal favorites include saving is the gap between your income and your ego. It's okay to do something that gives you peace of mind, even if it's not the best financial decision. Having money saved gives you flexibility in many facets of life and peace of mind, and peace of mind has value beyond just rand and sense calculation. Fiction is starting to reflect the post-COVID travel wanderlust currently sweeping the world. Books, music, culture, particularly from the East, are showing some of the strongest influences on mainstream publishing. And so enters Toshikazu Kawaguchi's Before the Coffee Gets Cold. It's been somewhat of a phenomenon. In a small back alley in Tokyo, there's a cafe which has been serving carefully brewed coffee for more than 100 years. But this coffee offers its customers a unique experience, the chance to travel back in time. In Before the Coffee Gets Cold, we meet four visitors, each of whom is hoping to make use of the cafe's time-traveling offer in order to confront the man who left them, receive a letter from their husband, whose memory has been taken by early-onset Alzheimer's, to see a sister one last time, and to meet a daughter they never got to know. Customers must sit in a particular seat, they cannot leave the cafe, and finally, they must return to the present before the coffee gets cold. Kawaguchi's beautiful, moving story explores the age-old question, what would you change if you could travel back in time? Who would you want to meet? What would you want to say? 
in the end, it could be nothing. Given the kind of storytelling we are used to, the translation from Japanese sometimes feels stilted to the English-speaking ear, but for many, this is the transportative, evocative power of this series. And then there is always a book that takes you by surprise, that is so wonderful and memorable and rich, a book you wish just wouldn't end. This book for me, this December, was The Second Sight of Zachary Cloudsley, a debut from Sean Lusk, and it was a heaven-sent treat of a read. In 1754, renowned maker of clocks and automata, Abel Cloudsley must raise his newborn son Zachary when his wife dies in childbirth. Growing up amongst the cogs and springs of his father's workshop, and you almost hear the clunking and clicking as you turn the pages, Zachary is an intensely curious, ferociously intelligent, unwittingly funny, and always honest child, perhaps a little too honest. But when a fateful accident leaves the six-year-old Zachary almost blind, Abel is convinced that the safest place for his son will be with the eccentric Aunt Frances and her menagerie of weird and wonderful animals. Then a precarious job in Constantinople is offered to him, and Abel has no reason to say no. It's a job presented to him by a politician with dubious intentions, but Abel leaves his son, his workshop, and London behind and the decision will change the course of his life forever. Since his accident, Zachary is plagued by visions that reveal the hearts and minds of those around him. It's a gift at times, but a curse at others. It's nonetheless these visions that will help him complete a journey that he was always destined to make, to travel across Europe to Constantinople and find out what happened to his father all those years ago. This beautiful novel has a touch of magic, well-developed characters. It's set in 18th century England and Constantinople. It's a complete feast for the senses, strange and wonderful. Just one taste and you will be seduced. So, January. Habits, money and transportative fiction. A brilliant end to my year and a good start to the next. I recently saw a delightful quip about books and the people who love them, and so I leave you with a version of this, wishing you a 2023 filled with poor financial decisions made in many a bookstore. A huge thank you to Butcher Bricker, General Manager of Books and Brands at Exclusive Books. If the book you seek does truly exist, all you need to do is ask at your local Exclusive Books or look online at exclusivebooks.co.za.
You were just listening to At the Balalaika by Freddie Carl, another South African composer here on Fine Music Radio, where we're always doing our best to bring you the best music and the best books. Prue Leith was recently in the country to promote her new book, and Beryl Eichenberger joined her in the studio to discuss her writing, her cooking, and eating life. Prue Leith is published in South Africa by Jonathan Ball Publishers. Welcome to the show, Beryl and Prue. A very warm welcome to Dame Prue Leith, who many might recognize from her role in The Great British Bake Off. But our Prue, yes, she is South African-born, is the exuberant icon of food, celebrated around the world, resident in the UK, and instrumental in changing the way we eat and prepare food. Amongst her UK successes, she has run restaurants, catering and cookery school businesses, served as a board director on numerous auspicious companies, and with 15 cookbooks to her name, also written numerous articles for leading publications, also eight novels and a memoir. And if that isn't exhausting enough, well, she's still going. Her memoir, I'll Try Anything Once, shows her reserves of energy and creativity. She is absolutely legendary. Her abiding loves, apart from food, are education and the arts, where she's been a game-changer in numerous projects. In short, she's probably our most successful export, and we love to own her. Happily, there is a Prulis Culinary Institute and restaurant in Centurion. The list of achievements goes on and on, and she's not stopping. Her latest book, Bliss on Toast, is now on the shelves, and I guarantee this is the cookbook that singles, busy couples, and seniors will be referring to it daily. Welcome, Prue. <laughs> Thank you for all that. My goodness. I tried to condense it all because we had <laughs> such a short time. You had a very happy childhood in Johannesburg, and you were taken to many fashionable places, particularly by your dad. Yeah, is that might, where the love of food ar- arose? Well, I think I've always been greedy, and probably that helped. <laughs> Children absolutely love it if they can be taken away from their siblings mm-hmm. and have one of their parents to themselves. Yes. And once a year, my dad would take me by myself to a restaurant. By today's standards, they weren't that grand. I mean, the, one of the, the smartest restaurants in Johannesburg when I was growing up was the Station Buffet. Very and auspicious the, name, that. Yes, <laughs> I know. But it was very smart. All the waiters had those sashes, you know, white oh, jackets yes, and the yes. red sash that went down. And they all wore gloves and things. It was really smart. And then we went to a restaurant where we had chicken in the basket. And I thought this was the most amazing and smart thing. And and indeed, this little roast chicken would come in a basket and you could eat it with your fingers. So there was a little seed that was planted Mm. then, which which started to grow. Your mother was an actress and you tried acting, you tried writing, you tried all sorts of things and then got into planning to translating and went off to France as an au pair. Yeah, more or less. More I mean, or less. I, the fact is I did try a lot of things before I stumbled on the fact that I would like to be a cook. And that was because growing up in South Africa, I didn't cook. And my parents never expected me to be a cook. So nobody ever suggested that I should go into the kitchen. And we had a cook, a Zulu, a wonderful guy called Charlie, who was a fantastically good cook. Mm-hmm. He'd been trained at the Rand Club or something smart French kitchen. But it never occurred to anybody that I would be a cook, so I didn't do that. And then when I got to France, where I was learning to be a translator and doing a degree in French civilization and culture, I actually fell in love with food and thought, no, I don't want to do any of this other stuff. I'm going to be a cook. 
So I started again. My poor father, who had watched me swap many times, must have just thought, oh, God, no. Here we go again. Here we go again. (laughs) But this time I stuck it. And France taught you an enormous amount of food. So your memoir is absolutely delightful. It's called I'll Try Anything Once. And there's a whack of enormously funny little stories in it. I just said to Prune that, in fact, it reads like a Jilly Cooper novel, and she was quite happy about that. So I'm very happy that she's very happy about (laughs) that. So let's just talk quickly about Bliss on Toast, because I looked at the book and I said, first of all, I love all the colors. It's brightly colored, which is your trademark as well. And secondly, I just thought, how comforting. It's so easy. It's such a go-to. So how did that happen? Well, I think the reason that it's so comforting and that it's so it's selling so well is because we've all been through COVID and mm-hmm. know how important the small pleasures are when you're having a pretty grim time. That's true. I started putting interesting and different stuff on toast because if you are cooking for two night after night, when you've done baked beans on toast and mushrooms on toast and eggs on toast, You've sort of done them. A bit more, yes. <laughs> you, need, you need some other things on toast. Also, I'm very mean and Scottish, and I don't ever throw anything away. I think leftovers need to be eaten. Mm-hmm. And so leftovers would turn up on toast, and I'd have to make them look interesting and a little bit different. And so I'd find myself doing something like, let's say, if I had a fish, fishy thing on toast, I might put a pickled fennel on top. Or if it was a beefy thing, I might put grilled tomato and pesto on top. Or and something. the anchovy toast, which you include in your book. And of course, here, anchovette is out of stock. It's, it's out well, of production. In, in England, too, it's getting really difficult Scary. to find. I Scary. nearly took it out of the book because I thought people wouldn't be able to find it. But I discovered you can get it online. Yes. So I did leave it in there. And the reason I did is because it was my childhood treat, you know, anchovy toast, we call it. I remember going to a cafe um, with my mum when I was about 16 or 17 or something. And we, I sat up at the bar and the man next door to, on my right had ordered a plate of anchovy toast. And I was sitting talking to my mum. And I just automatically picked a piece of his little finger of his anchovy toast off his plate and I had it not so much halfway to my mouth. I had it almost in my mouth. I had my mouth open and anchovy toast. I was just about to bite it when I realized what I'd done. So I pulled it out of my mouth, <laughs> tried to give it back to him. He said with, very dryly, he said, I think you better keep it now. <laughs> and, Prue, thank you so much. <laughs> I think it's a beautiful story to end on. And I wish you lots of luck with the book. It's going home into my um, recipe storeroom. Good. Good. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you so much. And that wraps up this edition of Book Choice, Publisher's Choice here on Fine Music Radio with me, your host, Paige Nick. We'll be back with our regular Book Choice show, packed with reviews and interviews in two weeks' time from 12 to 1 p.m. My thanks, as always, to the FMR team, and all the publishers who've joined us today to tell us about their magnificent books. We're so grateful for you, Pan Macmillan, Jonathan Ball Publishers, and of course, Exclusive Books. I can't wait to get reading. And before we go, we've got a special guest in the studio today. Liam Kaiya is here, and she matriculated from Camps Fair High School last year. Camps Fair High is the school I went to, so I'm excited about that. Liam is here to take a look at what we're doing here and to see what it takes to make a show behind the scenes. So I wanted to say welcome to the studio, Liam, and I wanted to ask you what you thought of your time here in the studio today. First of all, thank you for having me today. It was honestly an amazing experience actually being with you guys. Um, I got to see what, what it actually takes to actually formulate a whole 
bookshop. And it was actually also interesting to see how um, the sound engineer, known as JP, <laughs> um, what he had to do behind the scenes. Otherwise, it was really nice to just see what it actually takes to formulate a whole bookshop. Amazing. It's been such fun having you here. And would you like to tell us about our last track? Over to you, Liema. Sure. We're playing out with Somewhere Out There by Ken Higgins. Thanks for listening.